Welcome to Talk Green to Me. I'm Manali. And I'm Nasreen. This week we're going to be talking about paper. Not a terrible idea. Stick around for an interview with a fourth generation paper maker with over 30 years of experience in the paper industry and with paper recycling. Remember last time when we were talking about plastics? Yeah, and how plastic bags are pretty much everywhere? Well, these days, many grocery stores are switching over to paper bags. You know what's nice about paper? Unlike plastic, it's recycled at 70 to 80%. This means that 70 to 80% of the paper that's used by consumers gets recycled into more material. And the rest is biodegradable. Meaning it will break down and become part of the earth. That's right. Paper has been around for thousands of years. Sai Lun from ancient China is credited as the first person to make paper from trees, all the way back in the 2nd century. My man. (laughs) Paper was a highly prized and lucrative commodity. Papermaking existed throughout Asia and eventually made its way to Europe. Over the years, there have been several technical advances to speed up and automate the papermaking process. But the general process has been about the same this whole time. Yep. Basically, you cut the tree into pieces, clean off the bark and other gross stuff like sap, mash it up into pulp with water, then lay it out to make a sheet. Ta-da! Paper! (laughs) You forgot the drying part. Then you let all the water drain out, press it flat, and lay the sheet out to dry. And then you have paper. Got it. The newer advances are things like the Fourgonier printing process. This enabled making large quantities of paper at high speeds. The machine takes the wet pulp, forms it into a long sheet, and then dries it using heating cylinders. Or dryer cans. And then this long sheet is cut as needed. There's also the craft cycle, which uses chemicals to break down the trees and makes really strong fibers, much stronger than general pulping, which is usually a mechanical process. Aren't these strong, harsh chemicals bad for the environment? The lime used to extract cellulose from trees is harsh, but these chemicals are almost completely recycled and can be used over and over again, so they don't really get back to the environment much. Speaking of being used over and over again, we can do that too, with paper and other paper products. Yeah, recycled paper is made in a similar way to paper made from trees, but instead of starting with tree fibers, you can make the pulp out of used paper. So let's go through this process. First, say I buy a newspaper. Who even buys newspapers anymore? Alright, fine. Say I have some printed office paper or my Amazon package box. I put that into my recycling bin. Then what? Then all of the recycling material, paper, plastic, cans, etc. gets taken to a plant where it's sorted, usually manually, and then all the paper material is then sent to a recycled paper making plant. The manual sorting process is incredible. These sorting plants have a line of people literally picking through the recycled materials, separating out anything that isn't paper, like bottles, cans, sometimes electronics and shoes, all sorts of weird stuff. All the used paper is then thrown into water and blended with sharp blades to cut it up and turn it into pulp, and then we can use that to form the sheets. Well, we need to remove all the inks and grease first. Recycled fiber has to go through a few extra processing steps. So first the pulp is separated based on size and also screened so that small contaminants like staples can be separated out. 
We also add chemicals like those in soap to get rid of the inks and other sticky materials like coatings. Inks are hydrophobic, right? Meaning that they hate water? Yeah, soaps attach onto the ink molecules and pull them off the pulp. There's some more sorting by density as well. That gets rid of things like sand or grit and other styrofoam pieces that basically have a different specific gravity than paper. You mean like ones that are heavier or lighter than actual paper? Yeah. And finally, we're left with some grayish brown mush that goes through similar non-recycled paper making. But with all those steps, is it really worth it? Wouldn't that use up a lot more energy than making paper anew? Surprisingly, no. Recycled fiber paper and virgin fiber paper takes about the same amount of energy to make. So with recycled fiber, you can make the same office paper, cardboard boxes, and any other paper supplies. However, there's only a certain number of times, I think nine, that paper can be recycled before the fibers break down. Oh my god, paper has nine lives, just like cats! Oh jeez. So anyway, how do you know that you're on the ninth time of recycling? Basically, no one is keeping track constantly, but after a while, the paper fibers become too small and fall through small screens that separate by size and they get taken out of the pulp. Pulp that's gone through recycling too many times become weak. Yeah, that's one of the problems with recycled paper. If you need super strong material, like strong photo paper that won't rip easily, then using recycled fibers might not work. So what if I want strong photo paper? Well, we've got to cut down some trees to get new cellulose. These days, with sustainable forestry, that's no problem at all. This new cellulose can also be used to make some really cool products. Oh yeah? What can you possibly use cellulose for instead of just paper and boxes? A ton of stuff. Research is going into making alternatives to plastics with cellulose. You can take cellulose pulp and turn it into super strong and optically active crystals called cellulose nanocrystals. This stuff can go into making gels and even composites that go into your cars. Oh yeah, I heard that companies like BMW are looking into taking those super strong cellulose nanocrystals and putting them into car panels. There's also diapers for babies and adults and feminine hygiene products that are also made from cellulose materials. Something for everybody. Some clothing fibers can also be made from cellulose, like rayon, viscose, and lyocell. And also ice cream. Thickener in your ice cream can be made from cellulose, or sugars can be made from breaking down cellulose too. Mmm, ice cream. Unfortunately, it's not all delicious though. The ice cream is delicious. The process might not be. Making cellulose and paper requires more energy than making plastics. Making a paper bag takes four times as much energy as making a plastic bag. Drying is the most energy-intensive part of the papermaking process because cellulose molecules are hydrophilic, literally meaning they love water, deep down to their core, all the way down to their molecules. This makes it really hard to remove water. The cellulose just doesn't want to let it go. This is where material scientists come in handy by coming up with more efficient ways to remove the water. If papermaking could use less energy drying the cellulose, it could be much better for the environment and we would significantly reduce energy consumption while making paper. Yeah, the forest products industry is working hard to make all parts of the papermaking process more energy and resource efficient. For example, International Paper, which is a papermaking company, in their annual report says that more than 90% of their water used in their manufacturing is cleaned and returned back to the environment, and they've already reduced their greenhouse gas emissions by 20%. 
So they use less water and energy and have lower air and fossil fuel emissions now. Right. Some companies are even using enzymes during the pulping process to reduce the amount of energy needed to break the tree fibers apart. Yeah, and remember when we were talking about pressing water out? This is done using different felts, which can soak up the water. And many papermaking facilities do on-site water treatment, so the water can be reused because it's safe again. They'll also burn some of the unusable cellulose bits, called fines, or those small recycled fibers we talked about earlier to make energy to run their processes, which reduces some of the energy input. But with all these energy considerations that still need to be figured out, it's hard to say that paper is the best material or that we should switch all plastic use to paper. Like we learned in the last episode, there are some properties that you can only get with certain plastics. So we wouldn't want to get rid of all plastics but maybe just reduce the single-use ones. We also said last episode that plastic doesn't degrade in landfills easily and will stick around on the planet forever. Similarly, paper that's left in landfills also has a hard time with degradation. It's because of the anaerobic environment that's in landfills. That means that there's not much oxygen to support organisms that can break down any of it. Though paper breaking down is not as bad as plastics. But you can compost your paper at home, though. It'll biodegrade there. Just don't compost the colored or glossy stuff. You can't really compost those number one through six plastics, though. So those will definitely go in the landfill if you're not recycling. Also, you can recycle your plastic bags, but you have to go out of your way to do it. And we learned last time that those number one through six plastics can't always be recycled, or not everyone does it. But most local municipalities have systems to collect paper and cardboard boxes. This is why paper is recycled at a rate of 70 to 80 percent, while plastic is only recycled at a rate of 10 to 15. And at the end of the day, paper and cellulose comes from trees and vegetative materials like corn stover, eucalyptus, pineapples, or even bacteria, while plastics come from fossil fuels. I'm just saying. But to be fair, lots of plastics, packaging, and chemical companies are doing their part to improve sustainability. Yes, absolutely. They hire material scientists just like us to do so. You know, if you're hiring. (laughs) But that's for another time. This episode is about paper. Again, just like with plastic, reducing usage is the best thing we can do for the environment. Sorting and recycling isn't that easy. But don't just take our word for it. Let's ask an actual expert. Introducing Dr. Chris Litkin, a professor of practice and an associate director of the Renewable Bioproducts Institute at Georgia Tech. Dr. Litkin has over 30 years of experience in the pulp and paper industry. So let's hear from Dr. Litkin. Tell us about why paper recycling is important to you and how it has connected to your personal journey. Thanks. Uh, My first job out of grad school was for Scott Paper Company in Winslow, Maine, learning about the recycled fiber operations from waste paper sourcing to making a clean, hygienic tissue and towel product with that pulp. This this has been part of my journey. And then I got the opportunity of building a recycled fiber facility, designing it from the ground floor with Scott in Owensboro, Kentucky. And when Kimberly Clark bought Scott, I got a chance to go to South Africa and help with the startup of a recycled fiber facility there. So I consider the area of recycled fiber and waste paper as one of the areas of strength from my background, and I've always been involved in it. I did want to ask because I heard you're a third generation paper maker. Fourth, actually. Fourth generation paper maker. So you're a great-grandfather then? 
Yeah. So in the 1850s, he was a blacksmith working for a small engineering firm in Duren, Germany. And he invented a new way of making a dryer can. And up until that point, everybody just made handmade paper, a large vat of dilute pulp with a screen, handheld, and paper was pressed and air dried. And the first kind of continuous paper making was just starting to be invented. There was the Roberts machine, the Fordernier brothers, and these were ways of making a continuous wet sheet. But what he came up with was the dryer can. And the dryer can is now so it's 170 years old, but he held the patent in Germany and won a couple of gold medals at World Trade Fairs in Paris and Vienna. So what did he do after that? From the money he was able to accumulate, he built a paper mill that made the white grocery bags for the daily bread. He handed it to two of his sons, who then handed it to two of their sons. But then, of course, wars happened. My father left for the United States in 1929 to learn about American papermaking. He'd just gotten his Ph.D. from Darmstadt, which is the paper institute in Germany. He started working for International Paper on Long Island, New York. He worked and he hooked on to P.H. Gladfelder Company in, in a little town in Pennsylvania, and that's where I grew up. So four generations, and it's been very valuable and integral to my family's life. So have you passed it on to any of your kids? Well, I haven't had a kid yet enter the paper industry, <laughs> but we still got some chances at that. So getting back to the paper industry, what's it been like more recently? It's been tough. You know, if you think about the paper industry in the late 90s, 2000s, we've seen downsizings. We've seen less uh, consumption of printing and writing papers and the newsprint industry. But I think it's really taken off these days with packaging. With cellulose is a very economical and environmentally friendly thing to do because it is so recyclable. So can you tell us about recycled versus new or virgin fiber to make paper? Well, I think a lot of the life cycle assessments that have been done compare recycling with virgin pulp, that it's pretty neutral from an energy and carbon footprint perspective. We're preventing a lot of this material from getting back into landfills or being burned, creating air pollution. So currently, what's the biggest challenge with paper recycling? It's becoming very challenging to get waste paper uh, at higher rates of recovery without getting into some severe cross-contamination issues. You're going to get into more food waste contamination, even medical waste contamination mixed in with the waste paper. And this gets a little dangerous for employees and for making hygienic products. Where do you think this contamination issue comes from? The concept that home recycling has gone to single stream has really caused a lot of contamination problems. There's only so many ways to get single stream recyclables separated into their proper waste streams to get the plastic bottles and the aluminum cans and the food waste and everything else that goes into that single stream recycled bin to be separated so you can get clean paper out of it. That, that seems to be the biggest challenge right now, and it's a challenge to a lot of industries. And in some cases, the waste paper that we're getting now is at a pretty high level of contamination that requires uh, intensive manual sorting. Workers are sorting off a 60-mile-an-hour belt the things that are not uh, recyclable and putting things down a chute and trying to keep the cellulose on the conveyor belt. And here comes a hedge trimmer on this 60-mile-an-hour belt. And you're thinking, someone thought that hedge trimmer was recyclable. 
So what do you think we would need to move away from manual sorting? So I think there are better ways. We just haven't found them yet uh, because there's no easy way of separating these these uh, into their individual waste streams. So instead, how do we prevent these non-recyclable items from getting into the waste streams? So this is kind of education I don't think we've done in this country is what are good recyclables and what are not. And the fact that we're stepping away from individual recycling streams instead putting it all into one bin the realization that someone is going to spend their career sorting through our garbage is something I don't think people realize. Um, and we're, we're unfortunately in a throwaway society. We throw away so many things, and we don't necessarily think about the end of life of our goods. Uh, I don't know if we can change that uh, unless there are communities that rise up and say, we want to do better. Going back to the energy concerns for making and recycling paper, are there benefits to using cellulosic materials over plastics? Well, I think the root problem we're facing as a society right now is we've become very dependent upon plastics for a lot of our needs. All the byproducts, which are really the dregs of a petro refinery, these become the countertops, these become the carpet, plastic straws and plastic bags and, and bottles. And these are not biodegradable materials. And it will be found thousands of years from now by archaeologists of the future. So do you think recycled paper is a good alternative to fossil fuels? We're recycling the waste paper to make new paper. And we can recycle the paper, recycle the paper, recycle the paper. And, and it's a good success story. But we also got to be thinking about our bio-based, biomass material that are available to us and making value-added products that can replace the fossil fuel-based materials that we currently use. So what do you mean by value-added products? We can make sugars. We can do all kinds of things. We can make ethanol from, from vegetative materials, but we can also get into some of these precursors that make the upholstery, that make clothing. I think the areas of nanocellulose, the areas of taking the uh, phenolic materials from lignin and making value-added products from that, that these could be the precursors for many of the, the fossil fuel-based materials that we currently use. So, Could you give us an example? I think lyocell is a great success story for clothing, right? It's based on taking carbohydrates from plants, from trees, and making it into a spinnable filament for fabrics that is not going to last for thousands of years and will biodegrade. How about a non-cellulosic example? Polylactic acid. This is another area where we have seen a, a good improvement in the area of biodegradability by replacing uh, petro-based materials with something that's bio-based. Polylactic acid is one of those number seven plastics we talked about on our previous episode, but it can't be recycled. It is compostable, however. So Dr. Lickin, are there ways to incorporate other biomass into paper making? Yeah, I think that we've got a lot of capability in papermaking to use a lot of different types of fiber. I mean, we can blend long fibers and short fibers together. So you can blend in vegetative waste materials like wheat straw and corn stover and still get a good quality paper product as well. What sources are typically used to make paper? Typically, southern pine, northern spruce, these are really good long fibers for strength. Uh, you can use maple, oak, aspen, poplar, 
uh, gum trees for hardwood fibers to fill in the spaces and get good printability. Uh, you can mix in wheat 10, 20, 30 percent without a, too much impact to the product properties. What about pineapples? Pineapple plants are being investigated by a number of people throughout the world and have been for some time. But the, the pineapple fronds that are left over from the harvest tend to either be burned, which can cause air pollution, or they can be just decomposed, and this can cause a lot of uh, bug issues, insect issues in, in these communities where pineapples are grown. So there are people investigating the idea of pulping up these plant materials and getting good fiber qualities out of them. You can get very long and flexible fibers that can be mechanically pulped to make a good pulp for paper making. Wow, I had no idea pineapples could be turned into paper. I've learned so much today. Is there anything else you want our audience to know? That anything that has cellulose in it could be recycled and defibered and made back into paper making again. Tear your paper apart and see what's inside sometimes. And if there's fiber in there, you ought to be able to use it. Thank you so much, Dr. Lickin. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? I would just urge people to be more conscious of their consuming, their practices. You know, if you think about what I buy and what I use and what I throw away, I think if we can become more aware as a society, we'll be better uh, stewards of our environment. We'll be able to watch out for future generations. You know, those are, those are things that we should always be conscious of. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talk Green to Me. This episode was edited by Nasreen Khan, Manali Banerjee, and Hannah Woods, and produced by the three creators of the podcast, Nasreen Khan, Manali Banerjee, and Hannah Woods. We would also like to thank Saucy Boy Records for providing music for this episode. And if any of you have any comments or questions about the things that we have said today, please feel free to contact us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at talkgreentomepodcast and on Twitter at TGTM Podcast.